big beat manifesto goes, big beats are the best, get high all the time. Right. At the time, it felt like a much more all-encompassing philosophy. I thought you were a business brain, Mark, but you're better than that. You're what my grandma would call a real piece of shit. Yeah? It's a great plan. Hans is the star, Jeremy's the second stringer. Let's fuck him. That's our dick. That's Jeremy's asshole. We're fucking him. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, everybody. Welcome to L Dude Brothers podcast episode 30. I think it's 34. I think Hold it's on, I'm gonna, I yeah. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, 34. Okay. All right, let's try this again. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the L Dude Brothers podcast episode 34, Jeremy's Mummy. I'm Sean, and I have a mouth, but I do not speak. And I'm Laura, and I have a bed, but never sleep. What am I? You're Nicholas Lynhurst. I am Nicholas Lynhurst. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you, ma'am? Not too bad. Yeah, I've had some drama this week. I've been in hospital with a gallbladder complaint, but I'm I'm alright. I didn't have my gallbladder out in the end, but I am high on a mixture of codeine and I think what you call Vicodin. Uh, oh. What is it? Yeah. Yeah, Zydol. So that's nice. It's pretty pretty strong. That's nice. Uh, I think I... Yeah, I th- yeah, it's a mellow buzz. Yeah, I think I told you this story off air, but um, a couple of years ago, I was in a car accident. And um, I really fucked up my back, and the doctor gave me this combination of like pain medication and a muscle relaxer. Nice. Yeah, every time I would take it, I would look at my wife and go, "Oh man, I can really see why people get addicted to this stuff." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quite it's quite clear why they ration this stuff out. Like, I've got a box of twenty. I can't imagine they're going to give me any more unless the pain continues. Uh, are you be selling it on the black market otherwise? Yeah, I don't know what it's like over there, but over here, opioids are like a huge, huge problem right now. Yeah, they're still, so we can still buy them over the counter, like the less strong ones. But in Ireland, like in the Republic of Ireland, they're totally banned. And I can see it going that way over here eventually. Yeah. Well, just legalize marijuana then. (laughs) Yeah, we'll enjoy it. We'll enjoy the opioids while we can. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I know that you've been racked with pain and have uh, been a little incapacitated. Have you been able to watch any TV or any shows that you're watching right now? Uh, so I caught up with the... So it was after the series break of Jane the Virgin because previously before Christmas I watched like 72 episodes. So I'm now... I've started watching that again from the series break. Um Otherwise, no, it's been a lot of daytime TV that's easy to watch. How about you? You been watching anything this week? Uh, I just watched Altered Carbon on Netflix. I haven't finished it, but I'm seven out of ten episodes and really enjoying it. I was going to say, is it good? It came up on my list. Um, Yeah, so maybe I'll have a look at that. I I thought the premise was interesting. I think it depends. Um, Are you a sci-fi person? Like, do you like science fiction? Not really. Like, I do. I like some sci-fi. Like, I like Black Mirror and stuff like that. But I'm not. I'm not all about the robots, really. Uh, do you like, like, uh, like hard-boiled detective mysteries? Yeah, I do quite like that sort of thing. Okay, so basically, Altered Carbon is sci-fi is a hard-boiled detective series in a sci-fi world. Hmm, okay, that's interesting. Humans basically have these 
computers that are implanted into the back of their necks and you can um like when your physical body dies you can just basically pull that out and plug it into another body and then you just okay. like go about your life and um a guy was killed his so his body was killed and his the computer was destroyed but because he's super rich he's got a backup and so he comes back to life and he hires this detective to figure out who killed him Ah, clever. Yeah, I might give that a go then. Uh, my husband's away on a field trip next week, so I'm going to have some time to watch some stuff that, on my own, I'll probably have a go at that. I think it also should probably be said that this show is 100% not safe for children. <laughs> I wouldn't have put it on with the kids in the room anyway, but thanks for the heads up. I, I mean, not that I think Sadie and Esther would remember the time they saw tits on Netflix <laughs> when they were three, but, you know... <laughs> yeah yeah it's better to be safe than sorry yeah. before child services get involved yeah uh <laughs> so um this episode we're kind of in the middle of the jeremy the jeremy arc and i also just realized that all of these episodes are also jm so it's like jeremy's money jeremy's manager jeremy's oh no i guess they're J jeremy's broke fuck well there goes that goddamn theory <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is the middle of a Jeremy arc, and this is bang smack in the middle of it, where we meet, for the first and only time, I think, Jeremy's mum. Yeah, and do you know who wrote this episode? Uh, I don't, actually. Oh, or was it... Um, oh, shit. Oh, God guy? damn it. I'm totally, like, fucking this up. That was last week's episode that was written by Sam oh. Blackwell. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, was it Sam Blackwell? No, it wasn't. Uh, that was last week's episode. Last week's episode, ah. and I am so mad that I didn't mention this on air last week, Laura... Last week's episode was the halfway mark of the series. Ah, so this is, we're on the downward uh, slope now. This is going towards the end of Peep Show. Yep, we are in the final 27 episodes, I think, of Peep Show. Just makes me sad how little Peep Show there really is when you sort of look into it. I know. Uh, so, and also, I think this, I'm not quite sure what day this is going out. Well, I guess I can figure that out. It's like the seventh. I think this is going to be the one-year anniversary of the show as well. Oh, happy birthday, LD Brothers! All right. So, are you ready to talk about the show? Yes. What did you? What were your thoughts going into this episode? What did you remember about it? Okay. So, obviously, I remembered Gunny, and I remembered the rape, but I didn't realize how uncomfortable I, I we'll get into it when we get to that scene i didn't realize how uncomfortable everything surrounding the rape made me like uh, i know it's a stupid british comedy series but like uh, there's just some stuff that i didn't like towards the end of this episode Every i think the climate has changed hasn't it since this episode was written and aired i agree with you that there's some stuff in this that you just wouldn't get if it was so this aired nearly 10 years ago now it was 23rd of may was it 2008 yes and if this was if this was now there's no way that that this would have would fly i don't think no no way no way in hell like no zero no. percent chance not in the wake of me too i don't think no not at all um and i don't want to turn this into a podcast about the discussion of rape culture but I there was a video on YouTube where it was like, hey, we need to change depictions of rape culture. And it actually talked about how 
um, when a woman rapes a man in like a TV show or a movie or something like that, it's often treated as like comedic or not a big deal. And I was just like, wow, did you, do you know what I'm going to be talking about tomorrow? Facebook, like you're psychic. <laughs> it heard you talking. Um, but did you know, actually, I don't know if this is the case in America, but in British law, I was just looking into this before we came on air. Um, it's not actually rape. A woman can't rape a man. This is not what happened to Mark, even though it blatantly is a rape. What? So it's just sexual assault. It's not a rape. For a rape to happen, you it, you literally have to be sexually assaulted with a penis. Otherwise, it's just sexual assault. Wow. Yeah, so it wasn't actually a rape, even though... I agree. It did look quite rapey from where I was sitting. So but... I guess Mark was right that it was only a minor sexual assault. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. Well, um, we'll get into that later, as I'm sure, because mm -hmm. it's a big part of the last third of the episode. Um, yeah. So episode kicks off, and we've got Mark, Jeremy, and Super Hands, and they're in a house we've never seen talking about a person we've never heard of. Yes. Um... They are in a very chintzy looking living room and Mark and Superhands are helping Jeremy clear out a dead woman's house. Yep. And uh, Mark thinks that she leaves behind a paltry set of mementos and that he already has more uh, more interesting set of personal effects. And then he's also worried that Jeremy might be sad that his Aunt Gwen died. Yeah, but just as he's thinking this, uh, Jeremy comes into the room and he is singing a jaunty song about Gwen being dead <laughs> to Mark and Superhands. So it's quite clear that he's not sad. And Mark asks Jeremy sarcastically if he's able to contain his grief. Yeah, and uh, Jeremy kind of kind of plays this off. And he says that he only met Gwen twice. It's not like she was Ian Curtis. She was never going to make a seminal album. And this might be blasphemy to most of the listeners, but I had no idea who Ian Curtis was. Oh, get out of here. Come on. Um, I had never listened to the band that he was in, whose name is totally escaping me right now. Uh, Joy Division. Joy Division, yeah. I also just... How could you not know Love Would Tear Us Apart? That's like the... Honestly, Americans. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also learned that um, the rock band The Killers did a cover of a Joy Division song, Shadow Play. And I always thought that that was a... A killer's original. I had no idea that that was not a killer's original song. Honestly, do you know why Joy Division were so called? I do not. Uh, it was apparently that was the name of the uh, prostitute arm of the uh, SS. The Nazis had like a little uh, division of prostitutes that they used to use, and that department was called the Joy Division in German. Jesus. There you go, dark. That is dark. Uh, mm. I was watching videos of Ian Curtis, and god damn, that guy had a presence on stage. Holy shit. He did. I mean, Jeremy's not wrong. He was a great loss to, to music. It's, it's widely thought that he would have produced something even more amazing than what he did if he hadn't killed himself. The part that I thought was most interesting about Ian Curtis was that he was only like 23, 25 when he was died. Yeah, he was very young. I and mean, that's like fucking insane to me. Yeah, um, there's a great film actually about his life, a biopic. Um, oh, what was it called? Control. Um, it's really good. It's about his life and about 
his uh, sort of becoming famous and then his worsening mental health and his crumbling marriage, which they think was the reason that he took his own life. Oh, that's crazy. Mm. Transitioning back here, um, that's a hard that's a hard transition there. Yeah. Um, we also find out that Gwen died from cancer and Superhands thinks that they should find a cure for cancer. Yeah, he's uh, concerned that this isn't being worked on. And Mark says uh, they are working on it and Superhands just says, ah, they should pull their fingers <laughs> out and hurry up. Yeah. Um, whilst digging through the boxes, Mark finds uh, that she doesn't have very many books, says she's not a big reader, finds that she's got a book by James Herriot um, about veterinary life in the countryside, Frank Miller's autobiography, and the Reader's Digest quiz and puzzle book 1984. So I'm guessing you didn't look up what Sleeping Vets Lie is, No, right? uh, James Herriot was a, he wrote about the countryside and and being a vet so i'm guessing it's something to do with that oh fucking christ i thought it was oh my god never mind Disregard. did you think like veterans yeah yeah uh no he so he wrote all creatures great and small which was like a series about the countryside and being a farmer it's not it's, it's not about veterans oh well <laughs> <laughs> oh it was very gentle Boy, I'm really, like, batting a fucking thousand here. <laughs> and that joke probably doesn't make sense to anybody else, so... Yeah, or batting a hundred. Is it, is it a it's baseball a, thing? It's a baseball thing, so... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> he also has A Kentish Lad, which is Frank Muir's autobiography. And he's got the Reader's Digest Quiz and Puzzle Book from 1984. Yes, uh, two, two great books. I think if... Uh, I'm not even sure my husband's got that many books. Like, I don't know, because they're now mixed up with mine. But when I met him, I don't think he even had a bookshelf. So that would, if my husband had died before he met me, I think that they would have said the same about him. Like a map book, uh, some kind of book about how the land masses were created, and probably like a book someone got in for Christmas. These were the books he had. Um. <laughs> I also really enjoy this part where Superhands just opens up the Reader's Digest quiz and puzzle book and he just looks at Mark and he says, um, I have a mouth, but do not speak. I have a bed, but never sleep. What am I? And Mark just is like, a river. And Superhands just responds, Nicholas Lynnhurst. And then <laughs> yeah. and then Mark is just like, oh, he, you're in the wrong section, Hands. And Hands is just like, fuck this shit. <laughs> yeah, and like throws the book down. Yeah. Uh, did the Nicholas Lynnhurst joke make sense to you? Did he make it across the pond? Uh, no, he didn't. Uh, he's a beloved sitcom actor of the 1980s, Nicholas Linhurst. Yep, and we also find out that Gwen's estate is somehow worth about £40,000. Yes, and Jeremy's getting half. His mum's promised him half. And she th he thinks this is going to be, you know, what solves all of his money problems. But Mark points out that twenty grand is actually not a lot of money. And he says, don't be silly, Mark. I'm going to be a millionaire. Yeah, and... So all of Jeremy's problems, all he's never going to have to work again. You know, Jeremy's yeah, just going to be living high on the hog. Yeah. And um, we find out that the funeral is going to be on Wednesday, but Jeremy's mum is coming around later to the flat. Um, Hans then suggests that they should, or that Jeremy should drop acid at the funeral because he did it at his dad's funeral and it was, it made everything more intense is what he says. Uh, uh, Again, as a person who's never done drugs, uh, I just can't even imagine. Like, I would have trouble enough 
interacting with people in a normal mental state at a funeral for my my folks but you know being like thinking my bottom half is on fire would <laughs> it's, it's a very super hands thing to do isn't yeah it? yeah very very super hands uh but jeremy finds something really really interesting which is a gun he finds a webley revolver in aunt gwen's possessions is that what it is a webley revolver okay did yep, not know I, that yep i did some research on gunny ah. i'll get uh, into yeah, that later and um you have written in your notes for me to take a moment to explain the firearms laws in england to u.s listeners basically the law is you can't have a gun like if you're gonna have a gun it has to be for certain reasons you have to have all sorts of licenses um my grandfather for example had a gun for he used to do some some sort of hunting thing and he had to have like eight certificates it had to be locked in a cupboard the a copy of the key had to be with the local police station it had to be locked in another cupboard and this was like 30 years ago so I'm pretty sure that they're even tighter now because they got tightened up about 20 years ago after the Dunblane shooting. Um, basically, you can't have a gun. You definitely can't just have a gun sitting in a drawer in your house. So what about uh, like Sophie's dad that has all the shotguns? So if you're, yeah, if you're using them for like sport like that, you can, there's going to be, it's the same thing. You're going to need licenses. The police, the local police station are going to have to have a copy of the keys to the cupboard like the local police station are going to have to be informed as to where the guns are kept and they can come and request to see them and inspect them at any time. Wow, that's crazy. Mm. It's uh, It does mean we don't have a lot of shootings here, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, according to somebody I know, you guys have lots of stabbings, though. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I'm not sure we do, but I think we definitely have less stabbings than you guys have shootings, so... Make that what you will. Yeah, I don't remember the last time us. Uh, never mind. <laughs> um, that completely makes sense then why Mark and Jeremy are so excited about Gunny. Yes, it, it's unlikely. I would imagine that they've ever seen a gun before. I've certainly never seen a gun. Uh, yeah, in the wild, I've, like literally never seen a gun. So this is probably the first time for Mark and Jeremy too. Maybe not for Hans. You've never seen a gun. No, where would I have seen the gun? Like, your police officers don't carry guns? No, our police officers don't carry guns. Uh, I've seen, so, our anti-terrorism like police officers in central London sometimes have them, and I've seen them on them, but our regular police officers don't have them, no. What the fuck? They have CS gas and a big stick. They don't have, they don't have guns. Jesus Christ, I wish you could see my face right now. <laughs> oh, dun, dun, dun. No, they don't have guns. Uh, like, guns are... I think I'm speaking for your average British person here when I say guns are terrifying. Like, so after everything that happened in the summer, when we had the terrorism uh, in Manchester, things obviously hyped up in the, in the city. And in London, there were a few more police officers that were carrying guns. And if anything, I think they make us more uncomfortable. I felt less safe seeing a police officer with a gun than I would generally wow man that's crazy yeah we... so no i've never seen a gun other than maybe once or twice on the hip of a specialist police officer jesus that explains so much now because uh when my cousins came over for my wedding 
my brother-in-law took them out to a shooting range and uh, one of them was like just completely enthralled by shooting and it didn't make sense to me at the time but now that i know it makes sense why they were so enthralled by shooting i can't believe you didn't know our police officers didn't carry guns that's it's just such a different climate over here i mean i just assumed that your police officers carried guns because it just you know i i assumed that the rank and file like british person couldn't carry one but i just assumed your police officers did no you have to be specially trained so i used to go out with a police officer and in order to be one of the gun guys it takes like an extra a lot of training to be one of the gun carrying policemen here i believe my cousin's husband is one of those police officers Uh, yeah yeah it's Uh, specialism yeah so jeremy decides that they are not gonna throw gunny away or sell gunny they are gonna keep gunny and um marks tells jeremy that he should get rid of gunny jeremy says oh what's leave it in a leave it in a box for some or hands excuse me says uh mark uh, jesus i can't even read my own notes hans <laughs> tells mark that leaving it in a bin would result in some kitty finding it and killing his mom and how would mark like that and jeremy <laughs> says that he'll just keep gunny in a drawer nobody will find it there and then mark says mm, yeah nobody's gonna work out the intricate sliding mechanism on that drawer and <laughs> the scene jeremy co- kind of ends the scene just enthralled drunk on the power of the gun yeah yep um so now we're back at um at apollo house and we meet jeremy's mom for the first time she's making coffee in like a french press and mark is just in awe of her he thinks she's on the more sophisticated end of the mom spectrum yep she seems like a a, a altogether very nice middle class mom and jeremy on the other hand is not so impressed with his mom and he's really rude to her. The first thing we see him say to her is, Mummy, coffee, fucky, hurry uppy. And she doesn't, you know, tell him to sort his life out or mind his language. She just sort of gives him his coffee and says sorry. Yeah, um, I like how she says, I like, oh, Jeremy, stop showing off in front of Mark. <laughs> yeah. And then uh... Mark asks Jeremy why he's being so rude to his mother. And Jeremy's just like, he's, he has gone like a teenager, hasn't he? He's like, why do you care? What's it to you? Yeah. Do you want to fuck my mom? Mom, <laughs> Mark wants to fuck you. And then Mark's like, I, I don't. No, I don't. And then and then uh, he tells his mom that she's dressed like a prostitute, which she's not even remotely close to being dressed like a prostitute. No, not at all. Um, it's very tense in, in the flat. And Mark says to Jeremy that this level of tension may be normal for you, but... I can't cope with it. I'm going to have a heart attack. <laughs> and Jeremy says that... This line really cracks me um, up. Jeremy says that um, he doesn't have a very healthy relationship with his mother either. Um, and yeah, like you say, it's a very funny line. Well, well uh, Jeremy says that Mark's relationship with his mother consists of watching Taggart with 30 years of mutual resentment eating away at you. Yeah, uh, that really cracks me up because Mark's you know, Mark can't handle this like overt... Uh, aggression but like this passive aggressive relationship that he has with his mom that's perfectly okay (laughs) yeah that's that's more natural to him um jerry's mom then gives jeremy the cds that he asked for but jeremy's in no way grateful and just says well where are the clothes that i asked for and she responds that martin is bringing them up and obviously this is the first introduction of martin yep uh jeremy sighs and rolls his eyes and he's like another boyfriend mom but then he in his head he's like i wonder why she gets all the boyfriends (laughs) (laughs) um there's a knock on the door which mark answers and it is martin 
Um, and he's a very average looking middle-aged man, but Mark is already in awe of him. Oh my gosh. Mark has a bigger crush on Martin than I think um, Jackie does. Yes. Um, he sort of has the same feelings about him that he has about Johnson. He says that he thinks he's uh, Paddy Ashdown, Indiana Jones. He's Indiana Ashdown, <laughs> which is very funny. Uh, Martin asks jackie if mark is the son he just points at mark and he goes is this the son and she's like no he is and uh jeremy just is like are you my new daddy now (laughs) (laughs) yeah um marcy mentions that natalie is bringing the clothes up um and this is the cue for natalie to enter who is his daughter and she hands mark a bag of clothes and asks mark to give them to her dad um and before mark can really ask her in or do any of the normal stuff ask her if she wants to come in for a coffee she goes and mark thinks or oh, maybe she's the one but if she is she's hiding it really well because she scampers off yeah what do you think of uh natalie and i mean i'm not we're not trying to like judge on you know a person based off their physical appearance but just this actress for a- ashley jesus this actress for natalie like what do you think of her yeah she's pretty good she plays the part pretty well she sort of gets into the kind of like tomboy gruff voiced kind of you can imagine her being in the in the army which is what we later come to know she does uh yeah i think the actress is pretty good what about you oh yeah i thought this was perfectly cast yeah yeah she's very good and she definitely sort of fulfills that tomboy role very well they've done a i'm sure that if she was dressed differently she'd look very feminine but they've really managed to kind of scruff her up and make her look like yeah, <laughs> yeah. a typical tomboy very very masculine very very masculine yeah um mark brings the bag of clothes into the living room and then he starts to talk to martin about his time in the scots guardsmen um can you kind of just explain briefly what the scots guardsmen are uh yeah so the scots guards is one of the divisions of the army and they uh are part of the historically they were part of the establishment i think that were in charge of looking after the king of scotland or something to do with the scottish palaces but now they're just a different division of the british army Uh, and their role now is to yeah to it's an infantry role so it's just the same as other parts of the army really but they do different things with different vehicles from what i can gather i don't think it's that different now from the general army but it's it's pretty prestigious i think okay uh mark asks martin if he's seen any combat and then mark begins to talk but did mark just kind of instantly starts uh tuning him out and thinking to himself and he uh martin says that the malaysia wasn't pretty and the falklands were ditto and then jeremy just interrupts and he's like how many black babies did you kill and martin just responds in the falklands <laughs> <laughs> yeah um we also then find out that martin and jackie are looking at property to buy in corfu um and this is sort of casually mentioned but obviously sows the seed for the idea that maybe jeremy's inheritance is going to go towards something other than jeremy yeah uh martin i think that martin has a really good influence on jackie here because he's been um he tells jackie that you know giving jeremy handouts all the time might not be the best idea and jeremy gets really upset with this because jackie had promised him half of gwen's estate and now she's backing out of it and 
Jeremy isn't really happy about this and storms out of the room. I gotta be honest here. If somebody had told me they were giving me $20,000 only to go back on that later, I think I'd be pretty fucking pissed too. Yeah, it is not. I'm, I mean, Jeremy's unlikable here. And I'll talk more about that in, in a while because I've sort of made some notes, round your notes about that. But despite the fact that Jeremy's being kind of unreasonable in the way he's treating his mum, he has been promised this money. And that is a bit out of order that she's now going to go and spend it on the house in Corfu, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't like that. And I can, I'm totally with Jeremy there on why mm. he should be upset. Um, Mark converses with Martin and they find out that they both have a shared interest in military history. And Martin just casually asks Mark if he writes at all. Mark says he's working on a business book, once wrote an article about the Greek evacuation, or and then once once wanted to work on an article for the Greek evacuation for his local newspaper, but never did. No, he thought it would be out of place amongst all the uh, kebab shop stabbing stories. Yeah. Um, so we get into Apollo House later, and Mark is kind of creeping into Jeremy's room, and he opens a sliding drawer, and he takes Gunny out and he's like fascinated by Gunny and he's like that's okay it's okay to be fascinated by things that can kill guns electric chairs paracetamol lead piping um yeah um did you just stumble over paracetamol is that not is that not a word you use in America uh probably not oh okay I wonder what you call it paracetamol oh yeah, we call it acetaminophen. Oh, okay. Yeah. Paracetamol is easier to say. Uh, sure, weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so at this point in the episode, they actually were close enough on the revolver that I was able to find out some more about the revolver, doing some research on it. Um, mm-hmm. As I said earlier, it's a Webley revolver. It was the main handgun issued to Britain, British military from 1887 to 1963. So it had a long life. Uh, this particular one is the Mark IV, which was the main handgun commonly used during World War I. Um, they also used it during World War II, but not, it wasn't as common in World War II. How did you find that out just from looking at it? How, what, what research did you do? Well, it had, I could tell that it had a word written on the side that started with a W. And so ah, I, just, okay. I just did British Revolver starts with W. And, um, ah, okay. Yeah. Um, Great research. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, it's amazing what you can find on Wikipedia. I mean, I was talking about this <laughs> with somebody in the JLB Survivors group. It's, you know, guns are these kinds of things that the technology for guns has not really changed since pretty much they were fucking invented. Mm. and so you know you get because somebody commented uh, in jlb that you know like 1887 to 1963 like wow you know that's you know 80 almost 80 year run of this weapon and you know then i pointed out that the winchester repeating rifle that was created in like freaking 1860 is still being made in 2018 so i mean it's like yeah yeah um I swear to God, I'm not like a, a gun person, but I just, as somebody who's in the military, you know, I've held a gun. You and, know what to look for. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, gun. Oh, I was just going to say, so I can really like empathize with Mark. So having now 
kind of come to the realization that Mark has never even touched a gun before, more than likely. The fact that he's so fascinated by holding Gunny just completely makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Um, while he's looking at it, admiringly and touching it, Jeremy comes in and catches him red-handed, and, and Mark and Jeremy then start discussing the gun. And <laughs> Mark asks Jezebes can hold it walking around the flat, and Jeremy says that's fine, which is pretty hilarious. Yeah. Um, and um, they just are both, like you say, in awe of this gun, and they're kind of like two little boys playing with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, in hindsight, the fact that they never check to make sh- to see if it's loaded or not um, is crazy to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. That's true. You're right. And from what I understand about guns, which is clearly not very much, but can't they just go off like randomly? And if you sort of drop them or touch them the wrong way like you don't want to be (laughs) no they can't is that a misconception (laughs) okay so (laughs) oh my god (laughs) so that was clearly a very stupid question so (laughs) yes they can However, it is really uncommon. If the hammer's forward, it, the gun is probably not going to go off. Um, right, okay. But when Jeremy pulls the trigger and you the hammer does go back and comes forward, like if there was a, gun, a bullet in there, like Jeremy would have would have died. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's like a, a lot of appalling gun safety in right. in this episode in general. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, let's see here. Uh, oh, Mark lets Jeremy know that Jackie called, and Jeremy asks Mark if it was about the money, and Mark says no. Um, this scene is from Jeremy's perspective, and it's very funny because Mark is just standing there, just casually pointing the gun right at Jeremy, and Jeremy just seems to be like completely unconcerned that there's a gun pointed right at him. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I hadn't really thought of it, considering that we don't. They don't know it's not loaded. Yeah. 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 Uh, we also find out that Mark was invited to dinner by Jackie and Martin, and he, but he's not really sure why they want to have dinner with him. And then Jeremy just starts like telling him, like, I want to hold Gunny. Like, let me hold Gunny. Yeah, he's, he's, he's his turn with it now. Um, Mark's reluctant to give it up, but he finally gives it to Jeremy, who then holds it to his head. No, no, no. As- no, no, oh, no. This not yet? He does not give it to Jeremy. He throws a potentially loaded <laughs> gun to Jeremy. I just want... I mean, I don't. I clearly don't know much about gun safety, but I, don't be throwing guns. I, I just, know that much. I just want to reiterate that he throws a potentially loaded weapon at Jeremy. <laughs> um, then Jeremy holds it to his head and says, now pass me the Doritos or I'll blow my brains out. And he kind of, yeah, and you've written in your notes the lack of gun safety is appalling but yeah it's it's making me jittery just thinking about it yeah um mark is worried that martin and jackie are going to blame him for jeremy how jeremy has turned out um so the other day on twitter somebody tweeted that they owed me over a thousand pounds oh uh, sorry let me uh, jump in a little head here so mark waffles and he decides to go to the dinner on or he's waffling on going to the dinner Jeremy encourages him to go and says, like, hey, you need to go. You need to get the money for me. And um, he's like, yeah, I owe you over a thousand pounds. And then Mark is 
corrects him. He's like, well, you owe me 4,000. And Jeremy's just like, <laughs> yes, exactly over 1,000 pounds. Somebody on Twitter, uh, when we were doing the money drive, was like, hey, I owe you over 1,000 pounds. And I was like, holy shit, this is like, wow. I was like, and <laughs> I think my response was, there's a link to our PayPal or something like that. And then I just got back like a sad face. And it was, I was like, oh, this is probably a peep show quote. <laughs> <laughs> And it's very funny how Jeremy is arguing with Mark about the money and he's like, he's not even trying to be sarcastic or funny, is he? He's deadly serious when he's like, no, yeah, I said that over a thousand pounds. Like, arguing about the semantics of money is, is very amusing here. Yeah. Uh, next scene, we're at the Bavo restaurant. We also continue our string of businesses featured in Peep Show that are still opening. Or that are still Sarah. open. Yeah. It is in... It looks very nice. Very nice. Yeah, it's in uh, Southgate, London and because I knew you'd ask for the zip code, it is N13, <laughs> J as in Juliet, S as in Sam. Nice part of London, that. Um, so we jump right in, and there's just some like friendly banter going on between the three of them. Uh, that'd be Mark, uh, Martin and Jackie. Yeah, they're talking about mortgages, and Mark makes a... Does he make a joke about offset mortgages versus... No, it's, or something. I often think that there's a third somebody locked in a closet somewhere. Oh, okay, yeah, so he's talking about the Dimbleby. So the Dimbleby brothers are two broadcasting brothers in this country, um, and they do... So uh, David Dimbleby does the... He does, like, all the election coverage. He's, like, I think he used to be the political correspondent for the BBC, but now he's, like, the go-to election guy... And he does, like, if, if the, a member of the royal family dies, he'll be the one presenting the funeral coverage. Like, if there's a wedding, he'll be involved in it somehow. And then he's got brother Richard, who's historically has done the same sort of thing for the rival channel, for the commercial channel. Um, and, yeah, they're broadcasting brothers. And Mark makes the joke that maybe there is a third Dimbleby brother that they keep locked in the attic, who is Gummo Dimbleby. And that is because there was a third... Mark's brother, I believe, who was called Gummo Marks. Ah, okay. And, yeah, yes, okay, yeah, see, I, I didn't... I, I I, just have in my notes, Mark makes a joke that I don't understand, but it's apparently funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Jackie and Martin find it funny because they're older and more sophisticated. He, Mark, thinks that Jeremy or his other friends wouldn't have found that funny, which is probably true. Yeah. Um... <clears throat> We also find out that Martin wants Mark, a person who has never written a book before in his life, to write a book about his time with the Scots Guardsmen. Uh, yeah, I don't understand why Mark's his go-to guy to choose here. As you say, he's never seen any of Mark's writing. Mark did say he started a business book, but he didn't actually say if it was any good or in any way coherent. But Martin's decided Mark's the man for the job. Yep. Uh, and Mark just thinks to himself, I would literally stab a baby to do it. <laughs> But he looks super cool, and he's like, yeah, I think I could do that. Um, they start, Then they start kind of talking about um, the inheritance, and Mark has this very funny part where he's like, which way will Caesar Corrigan's thumb point? And he's you know, thinking about how he has all this power over Jeremy, and he can literally do whatever he wants to Jeremy. And, you know, as he's making this decision, they put a piece of tiramisu in front of him, and he's just like, oh. Tiramisu, this is the greatest <laughs> night ever. And just, you know. 
I mean, Tiramisu is pretty great. I'm with him on that. Oh, yeah. I agree. Um, so we are back at Apollo House, and Jeremy wants to know if Mark got him this money. And Mark has a very serious look on his face, and he says, yes, we did get you their money, but there are conditions. Yeah, uh, Jeremy isn't really asked about the conditions because he says that you could just ignore them like when you get a credit card or a doctor child he says everything <laughs> comes with the conditions um and mark reveals that jackie wanted someone to be in charge of the money and that he's going to be the person in charge of it and jeremy looks really really hurt and says so you're the boss of me now this is your pathetic dream come true isn't it and uh <laughs> mark says no but we know the audience that that is the case and mark's inner monologue confirms that yeah He's just in his head. He thinks, yes, it is. I've got your balls in a vice. And <laughs> he lets Jeremy know that he's worked out uh, a budget and 70 pounds a week is about is about right. And so I did the maths here. <laughs> if he's getting a $20,000 inheritance, he's getting 170 pound a week for allowance, basically. And then Mark is taking 130 pounds for rent and then to repay him for the money he gave to Johnson. So, you know, we're looking at 200 pounds a week, $20,000, you know, that's a hundred weeks. That's a little over, you know, that money will last Jeremy a little under two years, which is really not too shabby. Yeah. Yeah. It's not bad for doing zero work for it. Yeah, no, uh, Jeremy kind of cops an attitude with Mark and Mark just quickly responds. You are free to turn the money down. And Jeremy just briefly contemplates turning the money down just to wipe Mark's shit-eating grin off his face, but ultimately agrees and goes along with the conditions. Yeah, we know he was never going to turn the money down. Yeah, no, there's no way. Even if it would mean that Mark lost Jer and Jeremy won, Jeremy still wouldn't turn the money down. Yeah, exactly. Um, so next scene, we're at the Adam and Eve bar and eating house, and guess what, Laura? We have another business that's still open. That's good going. That's uh, that's been few in a row now, and I see that that's in NW7, which is in a, in a similar part of London to the last one. So they were clearly filming in and around North London at this point. Yeah, uh, Jeremy asked Mark for some more money, like right from the jump. Like uh, Jeremy is asking Mark for money, and Mark is like, "We're at a wake. Everything is free." <laughs> <laughs> yeah what are you gonna spend your money on at your great aunt's wake yeah um jeremy just is basically like fuck you i'm gonna go talk to super hands and then he has like a really funny interaction with super hands that i'm just gonna go ahead and play right here i'll shoot the breeze with super hands chatting shit with your mates is still free you can't tax that brown you all right cheers uh can you tell me yeah as a mate someone knows me really well is the bottom half of me on fire no. Thanks. That's good. Are you tripping? Shit, I'm saying I fucking well hope so. <laughs> you couldn't get me any glue, could you? Take the edge off. Glue? Yeah. Glue's coming back. Nature's glue. I've never done glue. Never boffed a tranny. I've hardly lived. <laughs> uh, <laughs> good old super hands and his drug usage at funerals. Yeah, while I was watching this episode, my husband was in the room and he said he thought this was maybe Superhands' funniest exchange. This was maybe the point at which Superhands was at his most amusing. <laughs> this is, uh, you know, this season as a whole is like pretty good, has some pretty good hands moments in it. 
Yeah, yeah, it does. The next episode actually has some great, great hands. So I'm oh, looking forward to that. This one and the one after that too. Yeah, that's true. Actually, yeah. Look, look, I I really like these next two episodes that we've got coming up. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, but we'll talk about those next week. Um, Mark is talking to Martin about his book, and he's got a couple of names in mind. He's got Warrior King, Master of Men, and War Dad. <laughs> War Dad. As a reader, Laura, My, do you like any of those titles? I would read War Dad for sure. I would want to know what that was about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like. Uh, Martin doesn't really seem. Sorry, go on. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, Martin doesn't really seem into any of those names, but he's going to run and past his daughter, Natalie, who is a sounding ball for the younger generation, which really made me laugh because she's about. She's at least 30. Yeah, and also, uh, and I feel like I feel like okay saying this because I was in the military. People who have been in the military have different views on things, and I would not really consider somebody who'd been in the military a sounding board for anything other than other military, like military related things. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, like my military friends, will post things on Facebook that are just like. Well, I don't get why kids these days are doing this shit. And I'm like, because they're kids and they're fucking stupid. That's why they eat Tide Pods, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, I agree with you that maybe it's certainly going to attract it maybe more. I don't know, maybe someone who's going to have more old-fashioned views, potentially. Maybe Natalie's not going to have... She's not going to know what the kids are up to, is she? No, definitely not. Um <laughs> Mark goes over to um, Mark goes over to talk to Natalie to kind of suck up to her, and Natalie mentions that she's in the catering corps, and she is like, "Oh, so you're the ghostwriter, eh?" Yeah, but there is another ghostwriter in the in the mix, I believe. Um, there's someone else that they're considering who Martin talks about, and then Mark is he, Jackie seems to have nice things to say about him, and he says, "Oh, great, Dippy Jackie likes him." <laughs> Um, so Mark is he's not getting his hopes up at this point that he's going to be chosen, I don't think. Yeah. Um, I really like when Mark is talking to Natalie and he's like, is she gay? It doesn't bother me, but it'd just be nice to know. It's not like I'm a homophobe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he decides to play it safe and talk about the food, but she's quite dismissive of it. So Mark has another idea and asks if she would be willing to be interviewed about her dad. And she seems really into this. She'd never been interviewed before and she really wants to do it. She's really excited. So this seems to have piqued her interest and there's a point of, of, of communication between her and Mark now. One thing that I really enjoy about this scene too that is not, I, I don't feel like is very common in this series is um, as a... Mark is talking to Martin and Jackie initially. You can actually, from his point of view, you can actually see Jer that Jeremy and Superhands are continuing to talk at the bar. And then when, uh, um, in this next scene where Jeremy is talking to Martin and Jackie, you can see that Mark and Natalie continue to keep talking at catering. It's very, it's like very funny because it's just these little things. Um, oh, I didn't notice that. I'll have to go back and look. Yeah. So at the same time that Mark is kind of getting in good with Natalie, Jeremy finds out some very, very terrible news that after estate tax, probate, etc., Gwen's estate is only going to be worth about 20,000 pounds. Yeah, so Jeremy is incredulous at the idea of only getting 10 grand, 
But Martin has further bad news for him, which is that Jackie really needs all of the money for Corfu and that Jeremy uh, is not going to get half of that. So he'll make sure that he gets something and he'll make sure he gets enough money for some new clothes, some new trainers, <laughs> a night out, but that he's not going to get half of the estate as he was originally promised. Yeah, which I think is very shitty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not it's not very nice, is it? I mean, I, I will say that I think Jeremy, particularly in that scene where we first meet his mum, he's horrible to her in a way that we never really see Jeremy be again. Like, Jeremy can be lazy and shiftless and he can be unpleasant even, but he's never really downright unlikable and he's very unlikable to his mum but then his mum seems like she's not very she's easily led by the man in her life to doing things that maybe are not in Jeremy's best interest so potentially has she done that all his life is that why he doesn't like her very much you know there's a dynamic there isn't there oh definitely I I think that in the uh in the prequel series with young hands or with uh young Mark and Jeremy we should definitely look at his relationship with his mum <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, but again, as I said earlier, uh, I think Jeremy's mom is being... Uh, and I don't even necessarily blame Jeremy's mom here. I blame Martin. Martin is being a fucking asshole to Jeremy right here, where he has convinced Jackie that Jeremy doesn't need this money because he's just a shiftless loser. And, you know, yes, ten grand is not 20000 But, you know, that ten grand, that's that's enough for jeremy to live on and to pay mark for a year without having to make any money on his own yeah that's true i think there's a legitimate grievance here for, from jeremy um jeremy gets angry and he then starts begging for the money <laughs> and he says to his mum fine like you want me to beg i'm gonna beg you and she, jackie sort of waffles on but martin's standing firm and jeremy just is is the red mist has descended he looks like he wants to punch <laughs> Martin in the face what is it that he always said in um, How Not to Be a Boy, how you turn other emotions into anger? I think. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think he's legitimately feeling anger in this scene. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, so we go back to Apollo House and Natalie is there and they're sitting in the uh, living room and they're drinking wine. And we come into the story where Natalie is just saying, my teacher was a bit of hippie, a bit of a hippie. She gave me this C&D badge. I genuinely loved Miss Davis. And Mark just goes, oh, well, that explains a lot. And then... Um, yeah, case closed. Oh, yeah, case closed. Yeah, yeah. And then she's like, anyways, I wore it home and fucking hell, Mark. Dad's face, it was like he was being given a Tabasco, Tabasco enema. <laughs> yeah, um, it makes sense because you can't really see um, Martin being into... CND is probably not what he was about when uh, Natalie was growing up, um, but it's quite clear that this uh, shows a side of his character that he's certainly not a hippie, but probably could have told you that anyway. You know what's weird is that uh, CND. I've never, I, I never knew what that acronym meant. Oh really? Is that not a thing over there, or is it called something <laughs> else? Uh you're funny. You think that America wants to disarm our nuclear weapons? Oh no. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big thing. Hang on, I'm going to Google it and see if it's just a British thing. Uh, oh, yeah, it is a campaign that advocates unilateral nuclear disarmament in the UK. Oh, okay, yeah. so it is just a UK thing only. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. 
All right. Formed in 1957. I know Jeremy Corbyn's part of it, and like, it's got a lot of kind of it's had a lot of um, publicity lately because he's all about it. He's a wonderful man. I'm gonna edit that out. <laughs> he is. <laughs> um, Mark. Uh, Mark goes into the kitchen to get wine, and as he is, he thinks to himself, like, oh, I'm going to have to get another bottle of wine, because you're going through it like a thirsty lesbian. Thirsty gays, as you're going through it like a thirsty oh, gay. Thirsty this gays, is, yeah, yeah. This is, this is something that is said a lot, at, this is something that's said a lot in our house, when I'm, wherever I'm drinking wine, my husband will comment that I'm going through it like a thirsty gay. <laughs> <laughs> um... Uh, Jeremy just is sitting in the kitchen and he just looks so like upset and he's just like oh what am I going to do for money now and Mark just tells him to get a job and Jeremy tells him he doesn't want to get a job because he's a creative and it's abuse for him to get a job <laughs> uh, he says he's contemplating selling gunny to some yardies but Mark's really against that idea um, so then Jeremy says maybe he could shoot Martin with it or hire the yardies to shoot Martin and Mark just thinks that this isn't going to solve his problem Jeremy thinks in his head it's going to solve his problems but the only issue is he just doesn't know how to get in contact with the Yardies <laughs> yeah um, Mark goes back into the living room and fills up Natalie's wine glass but she gets out a uh, a hip flask of whiskey and she pours it into the she says let's make this Irish wine and pours it into the pours the whiskey into the wine yeah and uh and then I just, I can't imagine anything grosser tasting than that. But Mark is just elated to be drinking Irish wine with a lesbian and talking about war. Yeah, I did and want to she... do this at a, but I was so, so drunk at the point that in which it happened that I don't remember what it tasted like. I had a terrible hangover the next day, so I would suggest probably not great. Yeah, uh, it sounds disgusting. Mm. Um, at this point, Jeremy walks into the living room and... Uh, and him and Natalie have a conversation, so I'm just going to go ahead and play that here. Hello, Natalie. How's your dad? Jeremy. Yeah, fine, thank you. Enjoying my money, is he? Is he lying in a bath of my money, nude, after having sex with my mum, nude? Uh, Natalie, why, why don't you take your wine through to my room? We, we can finish the interview in there. Whatever you say. Look... Everything isn't always someone else's fault, Jeremy. Actually, Mark, I think you'll find it is. You, you really do need to get over this whole thing with your mum. You're not Hamlet. Stop being Hamlet. Well, all right, I'll stop being Hamlet when you stop being... He can't think of a Shakespearean character. A massive twat. <laughs> he couldn't even think of Romeo. Romeo's easy. So, <laughs> I really love this. I, I really love this when he's just like... Uh, when Jeremy just calls him a massive twat. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so funny when he says he couldn't even think of another, couldn't even think of Romeo, which is just like the story of my life. That is, that's what I do in my job is just roll my eyes at children who can't even think of Romeo. Yeah, um, and then Mark, Mark uh, goes into his bedroom and he finds Natalie passed out on the bed, and he just tells Natalie he starts to think, you know, like when was the last time, you know, she peed. I don't, I don't know. And then he's like, "Well, I can't really go sleep on the couch because Jeremy's playing Grand Theft Auto. I guess I'll just sleep on the floor." And then before he goes to sleep, he tells Natalie, "Don't wee the bed." And then he <laughs> just wants to make sure that the word "don't" came through clearly. Yeah, we um we do this with our so our three year old is she's been potty trained for about a year, 
but she's only recently gone dry at night in the last sort of six months or so. And when she was first went dry at night, when we took the pull-ups away, this was something we routinely did was, don't wee the bed, Sadie, don't wee the bed. Let's hope that goes through to her subconscious. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... I guess we put it off long enough. Well, I guess we haven't really put it off because we hadn't gotten there yet, but we get to the now infamous sexual assault scene. Yeah. Uh, so Mark wakes up and he is confused. Um, he's mumbling something about his PE kit, isn't he? I can't find my good pants. I don't want to wear <laughs> the tight ones. It's PE. Yeah. Um, and he finds that Natalie's on top of him and she's clearly having sex with him. Natalie sort of stops and tells Mark that she likes him and this is how she's showing that she likes him. And Mark asks her to stop, quite clearly. Yeah, he clearly says stop. Yeah. Stop, Natalie, stop. Yeah, and but she, she doesn't. doesn't. No. And um, she just keeps going to town. Yes, she, she carries on. And Mark is upset and says that he's going to have an orgasm against his will. Um and then does <laughs> and natalie says she's not a lesbian uh but she you know he's finished she gets off and she she leaves to go pee to go pee yeah, yeah. um i did some kind of googling online about this and i found a an article uh on uh, noiselesschatter.com from 2014 and it says uh, it's pop culture questions was mark raped and it talks about the episode and talks about how uncomfortable this uh makes him feel and how uncomfortable uh the whole scene is and why is it uncomfortable uh it says he he knows that mark was raped but even though mark was raped the episode somehow was still funny at the time it still is funny uh it does work he thinks why is that he's invited people's comments as to why it's not horrifying or less horrifying than you would expect it to be and someone makes a very good point in the comments which is that we know that mark isn't horribly traumatized by this because we can hear mark's thoughts potentially the fact that we can hear those makes it funny as opposed to horrible i'm not sure if i completely agree with that but that's a theory anyway as to why this isn't utterly horrifying. Why, why it's uncomfortable rather than utterly horrifying. Yeah, it. you know, it was weird because I remember when I watched it the first time in the whole like, oh, I'm having an orgasm against my will. I'm having an orgasm against my will. I thought was actually really, really funny. Yeah, I remember really laughing, but it doesn't seem funny now. <laughs> no, God, no. It just, I mean, uh, like I said, I, I'm not trying to, you know, I, I like to stay apolitical and I like to, you know, look at it from the perspective of the time that it was filmed in. Um, but I mean, it just it's so it makes me so uncomfortable. And then the whole like orgasm against my will is like an actual thing that there's, you know, that people will think about. And, you know, that has, uh, you know, uh, I just don't, I don't think that this would today. This wouldn't be handled in the same way even though it was only 10 years ago, just things have changed. No, and I don't think that... I, I think that um, uh, Robert Webb and David Mitchell would probably veto this in... With today's their climate. Kind of, yeah, yeah, with today's climate. 
I agree with you. But as I said earlier, as it turns out, this isn't actually actually rape. He's not raped. It is just sexual assault. Um, uh, he is sexually assaulted. He says later on that it's a minor sexual assault, but it's it's a sexual assault, whether it's minor or not. The law doesn't distinguish. <laughs> next scene is the next morning in Apollo House, and Mark looks like really awful. Uh, yeah, Jeremy he, asks. He looks like you would look if you'd uh, been sexually assaulted the night before. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy asks Mark how the rest of the night was, and Mark says it was funny. Uh, <laughs> he woke up, and Natalie was shagging him, and he wasn't really into that. And he asked her to stop, and she didn't. And um, Jeremy just is like, oh my god, Mark, you were raped. And Mark just kind of blows it off and then basically applies that it, you know, women can't rape men. And Jeremy just says, no, Mark, you said no. And she continued, therefore it's rape. Yeah, it says you were raped by a soldier like in a Mike Lee film, which I think is a great line. Uh, don't make me laugh at this episode. No, don't make me laugh at this <laughs> stuff, Laura. God damn it. It's not funny. <laughs> It's not funny. It's, <laughs> it's not funny, guys. <laughs> um, Superhands pulls like a Kramer move right here and just walks right into the flat. And Mark's like, how the fuck did you get in here? And Hans is just like, got a set of keys. Makes it easier. <laughs> yeah. This reminded me of when I was at university. Um, in our second year, we shared a house and there were lots of us. It was a massive house. There were about eight of us. And there was this guy who was a friend of one of the other guys. And none of us really knew him that well like i'm sure he was harmless but the, the guy who lived with us got him a set of keys so he could just let himself in and we came like me and a couple of the others came in one day from a lecture and he was just sat on the sofa and it was like how did you get in here and he's like oh don't give me a key it's like well i'm not sure that's on <laughs> like, maybe give the key back and clearly that's the situation going on here with hands yeah yeah it definitely is um it really reminds me of like Seinfeld where Kramer just like pops into the house for no really rhyme or reason. Um, yeah. But we find out that Superhands actually does have a reason for being here and it's because he is renting Gunny because yes, he, he needs to frighten a geezer. He's gone yes, a bit frilly. Wave it in someone's face. Um, wave a gun in a guy's face, get him to back off, he says. But Mark doesn't think Gunny should be used for such a purpose. And Jeremy yeah. just says, ignore Mark. He's down in the dumps because he got raped. Yeah. Yeah. And then Hans is just like, what? <laughs> and Mark uh, continues to just kind of jump through mental hoops. And he says that Natalie didn't put anything up his bum. Um, Jeremy and Super Hans both say that that doesn't really matter. It's still rape. And... Yeah, it's not, it did not bum rape. No one said it was bum rape, Mark. So Super <laughs> yeah. Hans says. God, stop making me laugh. <laughs> um. The next scene that we get after this is like a really weird one. I don't know. Did you think this where Jeremy and Mark are walking down the street was weird? Yeah, it was a bit odd that it's in the middle. I don't know why they had to do it in on the street. Why it couldn't have been included in the scene before. But maybe it was part of a longer scene that didn't end up happening. Or in Jeremy's car driving to the hotel. Yeah, yeah, it's odd. Yeah. A anyway, so as they're... I mean, this is really like super brief um jeremy asked mark if he thinks that his book is coming to fruition and mark thinks that it is 
Jeremy has a really good title of it for it. Memor- memoirs of a thieving, conniving, murdering, stealing, cheating motherfucker. Um, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I thought that line was, a, or that title is a little too long. A little bit long, but probably accurate. Um, yeah. Mark begs Jeremy not to cause a scene, and Jeremy says he's not going to. He's just going to say goodbye to his mum and say that he never loved her. <laughs> um, so we get to the last scene. Yeah, last scene. And uh, we're in the hotel, and it's everybody. The whole crew is there. Jeremy, Mark, Jackie, Martin, Natalie. And guess what, Laura? This hotel, still fucking open. Oh, hat trick of still open in this episode. Um, and I see that that is in Uxbridge, which is kind of more over towards Croydon Way. Yeah. Um, Martin hands Mark his first batch of diaries, which is a weird thing that he brought with him on this trip. Like, why did he bring his di- diaries with him? I guess that's true, unless he was maybe meeting up with uh, Brendan that Dippy Jackie likes, and he just happened to have them because of that meeting, potentially. Ah, uh, yeah, I guess that's uh, yeah, I guess that's what happens. Yeah. Um, Mark tells him, you know, thanks him and says he'll get started making notes right away. Martin tells him that uh, it's edgy and the diaries are very blunt, and Mark is happy and he's like, the fruitier the better. Um, Martin also says that Natalie's been very enthusiastic about Mark taking over his writing, and then Mark thinks that's what happens when a lesbian rapes you while you dream about your mother. Um, <laughs> it's edgy. <laughs> It's edgy. Um, Martin offers to go downstairs to check out to save time. And Jackie goes over to Jeremy to give him a hug and a kiss. Jeremy says not to worry about the money because the band's getting some interest and he's going to write a porno film with a proper storyline and everything. And then he asks if he can have a look around the hotel room before they leave. And you know what I just realized is that that's a callback to the very first episode. Uh, what the, the the porno film with the proper storyline? Yeah, yeah. He yeah, talks the, about that, doesn't he, in the very first scene? The very first episode. Yep. Mm. And uh, he Jeremy says, you know, like, hey, it's a really nice hotel room. Do you mind if I go look around? And Jackie's like, oh, sure. And um, Jeremy kind of meanders into Martin and Jackie's room, and then Mark, sensing something he's wrong, is just like, uh, I'm gonna go follow him. Yeah, he follows. Jeremy and as he goes into the bedroom he sees Jeremy trying to put Gunny in Martin's bag and when Mark questions Jeremy over this his reasoning is that if they can't get to Corfu they can't spend his money in Corfu yeah it's a simple matter of physics yeah exactly yeah it's logical yeah um before Mark can really stop Jeremy Martin walks in and sees the gun and uh Jeremy points the gun at Mark and uh, Mark Mark just is like, Jeremy, you've got a gun pointed at me. Like, what the hell? Yeah. Uh, um, he says he's had uh, enough of... Martin says that he's had enough of this. And he grabs Gunny out of Jeremy's hands. Clearly experienced with guns. He opens it up to see what's going on. And he says, it's been disabled. It's fine. <laughs> I love this. I love this next line. And Jeremy's just like, <laughs> disabled it's being it's like being told that my cock doesn't work <laughs> yeah poor deactivated gunny <laughs> yeah poor deactivated gunny it's like um, being told yeah yeah martin then grabs his bag and storms out of the hotel room telling jackie that her son's an idiot which is probably fair 
Yeah, very fair. Um, they're walking down the hallway towards the elevator, and Mark is still trying to, like, do this book. And um, Jeremy just stops in front of the elevator, and before they, he can say anything else, before anybody can say anything, Jeremy just goes, Natalie raped Mark last night. <laughs> yeah, that, that totally, that is, like mic drop that kills all other conversation yeah uh natalie just looks appalled and is like mark is that what you told him (laughs) yeah and mark is he's stammering he's trying to kind of sort of justify what he said and he's like it's cross wires it wasn't right nothing went up my bum and then he's like um natalie's like well explain yourself mark explain yourself and he's just like well i did actually say stop to you but you didn't, and he stops, and then Jeremy's just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and Mark then is like, why am I the bad guy? Jeremy's the one with the gun, and Natalie did sort of not rape me, but, and Natalie just reaches out of the elevator, and, oh, I'm reading your notes, the lift. She reaches out of the lift, and she grabs the war diaries from Mark, and the doors close. Yeah. Jeremy looks at Mark and says, you're my mummy now. And then he just is thinking, I'm going to have to suck on your dry teat forever. Yeah, and, and that is where the episode ends. Quite quite, quite true of Mark and Jeremy's relationship there, I think. The sucking on the old dry teat. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I really enjoyed the first two-thirds of this episode a lot. Like, yes. lots of very, very funny stuff in here between the, you know, the money and uh, super hands at the funeral and it's kind of gunny, just super hands in general. This is yes. a really, two thirds of this episode's awesome. I agree with you. Everything but the rape is, it stands up, it's still very funny, but somehow something's changed now in the climate and it's, the rape is just uncomfortable and not, couldn't be written about today. Yeah, I I just have in my own little, like, recap of this episode, damn you changing times. <laughs> True that. I was, when I was Googling around about this episode, I was intrigued to see that Epigram.com put it as their, out of, they did a top ten of future episodes, and they put it as number six. It was higher than Dance Class, which I was very surprised about. I wouldn't put it that high up in, if I was making a top ten of future episodes, I wouldn't put it that high up. Um, I wonder if you can guess where I did put it. Oh, let's see here. I was, I am largely positive about this. I have to say, I'm not. I don't think it was as fabulous as Epigram.com clearly do, but it, you know, I think it's a fine episode. It, it's, it's one of the better ones. All right. Well, I know it's not in your top ten. No. I know that Jeremy's, uh, broke came in at twenty two. Mm hmm. So I'm I'm leaning between somewhere between eleven and twenty one. So yeah, you're right. Gonna, Would you like to narrow that down? Uh, I'm gonna go with seventeen. Oh, so close, sixteen. Oh God, I almost <laughs> went sixteen to just split the difference. Fuck. Yeah, it's my number sixteenth episode. Um, but I do think, like you say, there's a lot to love in this episode. It's very very funny. It is just unfortunate that you know. Changing times have meant that the rape stuff just isn't funny anymore. Yeah. Um, 
so that brings a close to Jeremy's mummy. Um, I want to thank the people that signed up for our Patreon page. Thank you. Yeah, very uh, exciting news. Very appreciated. It's going to pay for our hosting every month that you signed up. So thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Um, we did a really fun little 30, 35 minute thing with Neil from WTAF. That was uh, really yes, good. That was great. Um looking forward to hearing what people think about that. And um we kind of obviously say talk about this more in that that um sorry, I episode. My word in that episode, yeah, but um WTAF is a this country podcast which has been going for a little while, but they've just got to the point where they've started reviewing the episodes because the second series is due to come out at the end of this month. And it is well worth a listen. It's a very funny podcast. Yeah, they're they they're two guys that have been podcasting with each other for a while. They're very very fucking funny. Yep, and they live in Siren Sister and are very close to the action and have great access to the actors of this country. So if you are a fan of this country, you should listen to it. If you're not a fan of this country, I would suggest that's because you haven't watched it. So you should go to BBC iPlayer <laughs> and watch it, and then you should listen to their podcast. Or if you're in America, you should download it. And I can say that because there's no legal way over here for us to get it. So it is perfectly legal to download it over here. So Yeah. And if you are in uh if you're in Britain, it is on iPlayer in its entirety at the moment. Yeah, it's really good. It is really, really funny. <laughs> I would say uh, it is the funniest thing, the funniest British sitcom I've seen in probably since Peep Show, in at least five years. Yeah. I mean it just um, I think any of our American listeners who are from small town America will probably be able to relate to it, even though it's completely different countries. Um, I just think it's, I just think it's really, really fucking funny. And the two um, main actors, Daisy and Charlie Cooper, are just incredible. Yeah, they are. It's written by them, and they are their brother and sister, and they play the two main characters in it. And it is just, it's phenomenal. It is a really, it's just, a, it's got. It's got everything. It's funny. It's got overtones of Alan Bennett. It's got, it's got sort of harps back to the UK office, I think, which is where they got a lot of their inspiration. And it's just beautifully crafted 22 minutes of comedy. And there are six episodes of it at the moment. And like I say, there are going to be six more by the end of this month. Yeah, it's great. Like, there's not really a wasted... There's not really any wasted time in the episodes. Like, no, it's really tight. The writing in it is very, very tight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very funny. Um, and, uh... I'm sure... I'm sure if anything ends up happening, more happens with those guys. We'll mention it here first. Um, but it sounds like we might be developing a relationship with them so we'll see what happens there yeah hoping um, we uh to consider them friends of the show or for us to be friends of their show i'm not sure but either way nice to to be forming a little alliance with those guys yeah and uh man i can't think of anything else can you no no not at all um i'm gonna go and take some more painkillers and hoping for less drama in my medical life this this week <laughs> <laughs> And uh, hopefully won't have to be tweeting from the hospital, uh, bemoaning A and E at any point this week. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, good luck to you and your gallbladder. Thank you. Yeah, we're gonna need it. I think. <laughs> All right. 
Well, this is the El Dude Brothers signing off. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. I am in loco parentis. I am the last remaining contestant of The Apprentice. I am the home trained dentist. Ay, 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 ay,